Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical education, the classical world, old books, kind of things that fall into that category. Um, my name is Graham Donaldson, and I am here with my fellow classicists. Actually, I don't even know if we can call ourselves classicists. You mean me? You, uh, you like, don't have a degree. Neither do you. What do you I know. That's why we can't call ourselves classicists. Yeah. I'm saying. Is that what makes us a classicist is whether we you have a degree or not? amateurs. Yeah, that is um, true. With my friend. So are a lot of guys with degrees. Hey. No, no. They don't get paid. Oh, fair point. <laughs> Good point. Uh, with my buddy AJ Hanenberg. Yo. And Thomas Magby. Hi. And AJ, you're holding a pretty gnarly looking book there. That's uh, That's got philosophy textbook written all over it. Yeah. I mean, it's your standard like sans serif font on the front of green and purple. You know, there's nothing interesting happening on the front of the book. Oxford philosophical texts. You know it's a philosophy book when the actual text of the philosophy starts 194 pages in yep. after all of the intros and background wow. and analysis and stuff. Chapter one is on Are page Are you actually holding it at, the, at page one? This is the beginning. That's hilarious. That is the first page <laughs> right there. For, you, our, for our YouTube watchers, there you go. Did you read any of those first 194 pages? <laughs> yeah. I read the preface, okay. which was another... <laughs> Let's oh, see. Thomas, my sweet summer's child. Well, the only, yeah, I only read an intro if it's by a translator. I, like, All right, so, really? Yeah, that's, that's, the only that's an interesting, that's like an interesting uh, character trait there. Okay, so I did read the preface, Which and how that long begins is that? on page 189. So <laughs> I, five there's pages. five pages in there. So what, what's the book? What are we, we learning about today? This looks so like... So I've re- only read the first chapter. Manuel Kant. But there's only, as far as I can tell, three chapters. So that's a that's a good chunk of the book, and I'm thinking this this may be the only episode in the series. It might be a several parter, depending on where we go. But I was there's one thing I know about this book, and that it's where we establish the categorical imperative. That's sure. where this comes from. Cool. It comes from here, and I thought maybe it was going to happen near the end of the book. Nope, first chapter. First chapter is where he describes it. So we're going to get to the categorical imperative today and sort of get you know lay the groundwork for it, and then he's gonna, apparently he's going to do a bunch of other stuff with it because there's two more chapters. I feel like we have to do longer. an imperative. Huh? I feel like we have to do an imperative. Oh, my word. That's because it's imperative. Yeah, no. Are, are those your notes in the book, or did you buy this used? Oh, these are my notes. Those are your notes in there. It just looks yeah. like you have, on some pages, perhaps more notes than words on page. It, it, like, it, it seems like you have a lot of notes in there. Yeah, and I, it's kind of frightening because doing this episode is going to be difficult because I'm kind of dealing with... I, I didn't have... You know, I, I didn't have any good papers, so half my notes are in the first. <laughs> I didn't oh, have any good papers. Some thing, and then the rest of them are here, so I'll be flipping any back and paper? forth. And tra- you know, I didn't have any paper in my place. and I You don't d- have, like, printer paper? No, but I, and I have tendonitis, so I didn't want to type, so I'm trying to, You don't like, have, like, a notebook or anything? This no. is so interesting. Oh, no, wait, I do have a notebook. I just didn't grab it. Okay, great. Okay. It's on my great. bookshelf. That's the one place I didn't look. H.A. Hamburg. Where, where all yeah. the paper is in my apartment. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, we, he is going to slowly guide us in a roundabout way to the categorical imperative. And if you don't know what that is, that's totally fine. You will know by the end of today. Awesome. But it is kind of, it's one of the things that Kant is known for, is this, his categorical imperative. And the funny thing is in his preface, or he talks about how this has great potential to be just a crowd pleaser. Everyone's going to love this book. Everyone's going to read it. I'm like, man, have you read your first chapter? <laughs> he said is, that himself? Yeah, he said that himself. He's like, it's got great potential. So I'll try to write it as plain and easy to understand as possible. Uh, it's not. It's not plain and easy to understand, but he's kind of spot on with it being popular and important, right? It was very important, yeah. yeah. And it actually, I, all things it's not considered, that it's pretty, bad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you're not. It's not Hegel. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, chapter one, passage from the common rational knowledge to uh, of morality to the philosophical. Whoa, 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 what, what kind of years are we talking about? Years? Yeah, yeah. When, when was <laughs> Man, I don't know. I didn't look that up. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. I, I just tried to get through the thing. I didn't oh, research Kant at all. Let's see. For, 
It says first published 2002, but I'm guessing that's not cool. Se- seven- he's, he's so classic contemporary. Yeah. <laughs> seven- <laughs> 1785 is the publication date for the groundwork of so the metaphysic of morals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 1785 is the 1784. Cool. Yes. All right, rock and roll. Okay. First sentence. It is impossible to imagine anything at all in the world or even beyond it that can be called good without qualification except a goodwill. Intelligence, wit, judgment, and the other mental talents, whatever that we may call them, or courage, decisiveness, and perseverance are, as qualities of temperament, certainly good and desirable in many respects, but they can also be extremely bad and harmful when the will which makes use of these gifts of nature and whose specific quality we refer to as character is not good. Oof. Buckle up, listener. I know. So, can we just disagree for the next hour? Is that, what, is that what you've done here? So he says the only thing that is good without qualification is good will. Not intelligence, wit, judgment, any of that stuff, because they can be turned to the negative. Right? Same with gifts of fortune. Power, wealth, honor, all of that. Anything that... Uh, or even health and total well-being and contentment with, which, with one's condition, which we would call happiness. And here that means satisfaction of all inclinations as a sum. Like everything you are inclined to is all satisfied. That is your happiness. It's the German word Glückseligkeit. Ah, yeah. Yeah, so your Glückseligkeit is satisfaction of all your inclinations. So even that is not as good as a goodwill, Uh right? They can make a person bold, but often reckless, unless a goodwill is present to correct the influence on the mind. What does he mean by goodwill? Like... Um, a clarity a, of thought, a good intention. Hmm. Um, we, he's, yeah, he's actually going to go further into exactly what a good will gotcha. is. Like okay. we're going to define that a little bit more, more later, but even moderations and emotions and passions, self-control, all of these things for without the principles of a good will, those qualities may become exceedingly bad. Gotcha. Okay. What do you think of so far? I don't understand. A goodwill is the only thing that can be said to be good without qualification. But, isn't it, but by adding the word good to the beginning, hasn't he kind of circumvented the whole argument? Like, why can't I say a good sandwich is good in and of itself because it's a good sandwich? I haven't appealed to anything. It's well, just, doggone it, Thomas. I, I mean, but like, because a will can be bad, right? Sure. So then... This has been classical stuff you should... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, here's the thing. A good sandwich, there's a qualification to that. A good sandwich, so long as a person doesn't have... Uh, hypertension, right? Because if it's a, a turkey sandwich, there's a lot of salt in there, the person's, it's going to go sure, bad for them. But like goodwill implies that we all agree on the, like, the purpose of the will and the direction the will is going, which it's the same problem you're saying of taste around a sandwich. People think we should do lots of different things in the world. Like you are goodwilled to what end and we don't agree on the ends. Okay, so his point is just, just the, the will, will itself. itself, not the end at all. He's talking only the will and that's kind of the next section. The will, the intent sure. to do good. Yeah, I just, again, I think the him, it feels like cheating adding the word good to the beginning of the yeah, thing you're saying. Yeah, because you can have an intent to do good, but you, my friend, are a moron. Right. And you can have the greatest intentions in the world, and every time you do something, it's just as bad. But the will itself is still good, even if you're stupid? Like, is that the... Mm-hmm. Sure. So, let me continue on in sure. this section. A good will is not good because of its effects or accomplishments and not because of its adequacy to achieve any proposed end. It's just the will. It is good only by virtue of its willing. That is, it is good in itself. Considered in itself, it is to be treasured as incomparably, on and on and on. And then he says... So uh, willing is a good. To will the good Mm -hmm. is a good in and of itself without qualification. It says, its utility or ineffectuality can neither add to or subtract from this worth. Utility would be merely, as it were, its setting enabling us to handle it better in our ordinary dealings or to attract to it the attention of those who are not yet experts. 
but not why we recommend it to experts and determine its worth. So, so when someone says, I thought it would be a good idea, we have to be like, yeah, the will can't fault you with that. Yeah, I mean, he was he was trying to do good, right? And that's off. The funny thing is, often you you excuse people on that basis. They might give you a present that you can't enjoy. You know, they you, they give you a bicycle and you've got two busted ankles, right? But the the, the thought was, was there, right? We yeah. say the the thought, the thought was that there, counts. right? It's the thought that counts, and that is the goodwill. It's the only thing that we can say is good without qualification. Yep. What about? What about the person who's confused as to what is good? The thing they will, they think is good, but it's actually bad. Well, they're confused. Okay. That's the but qualification they're, they're, is they have to be not confused. But, but their capacity or their, like, the willing, the thing that they will is still, that, it's still, that thing is still good. It's that still function. good. The willing. Yeah, the willing. The willing towards good is good. Mm, I don't disagree that that is a good thing. You couldn't yeah. say happiness is a good, an, a good, an end in itself? Why can't, why, says, why no, it is not. Yeah, why not? That's like, because it, it can make you complacent. Here, I'll go back to the, the chunk about happiness. So, um... Wait, 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 wait. Okay, let's read it. What? Read it, because he is... He's, yeah, no, read it, because he, he, he originally said, the willing is good, but who cares about the effects? But yes. now you're going to give me an evidence. Now you're going to say, well, happiness can't be considered a good because it could lead to X. Which yeah. is the so, effect. So, power, effect. wealth, honor, even health, and that total well-being and contentment with, contentment with one's condition, which we call happiness can make a person bold, but consequently often reckless as well. But unless, so it, a, unless a good will is present to correct their influence on the mind, thus adjusting the whole principle of one's action to render it com- conformable to universal ends. So, Which in German is allgemein zweckmessig, and there's no further notes. That's just all it says. It just tells me what it is in German. But So how can we kick out happiness for being not, not being a good of, with an end in itself because it could have a bad effect? But we don't kill out goodwill, which could have a bad. which could have a bad end, and we're like, yeah, but it's the thing itself, but it's the action that's important. Hmm. Because because the only reason I'm pushing back is because Aristotle uh, in his Ethics says um, happiness is the only thing that we can say is an end in itself. I'm assuming that right. that we would also sort of qualify that as saying that it was a good. Yeah, I mean. Kant is obviously here saying the opposite. Yeah. And he even, he'll go on to, to make a point, like a reason why happiness might be reduced or even go negative. It's mm-hmm. because we, it's not what we were built for. Mm-hmm. He's going to go against, against directly Aristotle in this. Aristotle essentially says we're built for happiness, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not according to Kant. Kant we're, says we're built for willing? We're built for something else. Okay. But he hasn't. He hasn't said yet, but he'll, he'll make the point why it might be good for that other purpose for which we are built for happiness to go negative for a time in order that we will attain this other thing. Is it ice cream? It's not ice cream. Is it baseball? Unfortunately, it's definitely is not it baseball boys, and ice cream. I'm just saying, baseball is not listen, a good without qualification. You need a lot of qualification. Game one of the World Series was amazing, game. and you boys missed it. I'm just saying. Sorry, not sorry. Missed is maybe the wrong word. <laughs> uh, we, we didn't watch and we Did, don't we care. Didn't watch yeah, it, yeah, yeah, and do not care. I, I, do, I do feel like I don't grasp Kant's argument at this point and I'm, I'm fine to fight him on his first sentence but uh, <laughs> like, I, 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 some part of me would like to hear his whole argument yeah, before. Right. Okay, sure. So that's the first, the first section. The unqualified value of a goodwill. A goodwill is good no matter its effect or utility, right? Cool. Even if it doesn't work out, and you, if you, as long as you're wanting to do good out there, you're doing something decent. Okay. Okay, here's where we sort of begin to get really into the weeds. <laughs> The first sentence wasn't where we got in the weeds? Oh, well, yeah. that, was, that was a whole section. That was like oh, three great. paragraphs. Okay, okay great. Uh, two paragraphs. <laughs> okay, so the next part, goodwill, not happiness, 
is the end of natural, is the natural end of reason. So he says, um, let's see. Mm. In the natural constitution of an organized being, that is a being properly equipped for life, like you gentlemen here, we take it as a principle that no instrument for any purpose will be found in that being unless it is also the most appropriate and best adapted for that purpose. Right? It's almost the evolutionary argument. If there's something in you, it's obviously the best adapted for that specific purpose. And I think this is even like... Lewis talks about this. Like, yeah, you could even what, talk what? like Christian, non-Christian, evolutionist, non-evolutionist. Yeah. The, the principle is the same. When sure. you find something in a human, it is probably the best adapted for its particular purpose. Right? It's either designed that way, albeit perhaps in a broken state, or it has developed that way through evolution. Sure. Now, if nature's real purpose for a being possessed of reason and a will were its preservation, its welfare, welfare, or in a word, its happiness, the nature would have hit on a very bad arrangement if it assigned the creature's reason the job of carrying out this purpose. So if you point, if preservation, welfare, and happiness yeah. is the goal, yeah. then, well, reason sucks at it. Right. And he says, for all the actions this creature has to perform with this end in view and the whole rule of its conduct would have been disclosed to it far more precisely by instinct. And the end in question could have been attained far more surely by instinct than it ever could be by reason. Baloney. Why? Reason is not well suited for, for longevity or for like continuing the humanity. Like what, what was the, the term that he used? Preservation, Preservation, welfare, and happiness. And he says reason is not a good tool for that? Yeah. Uh, who's the top of the heap in the animal kingdom, my friends? Uh, Me. Polar bears. No. The tigers, maybe? I mean, <laughs> like, they got a good run for uh, it. Yeah. I can shoot a tiger, and I can eat that tiger in front of other tigers. The tiger can tackle you and eat you Doesn't matter. in front no, of no, other no, humans. No, no, no. Yeah. If I was, like, alone with a tiger, if I'm in a friggin' tank that I built with my reason, <laughs> I can blow that tiger out of the water. Or... Tree or just tundra. <laughs> <laughs> These water-going tigers. Yeah, exactly. My point be being, for a swim. Yeah. my point being that like, who is the supreme? If we really want to take the like preservation argument and say that reason is not the thing that has like gotten us here, we have friggin' sewers. We have cities. We got we got airplanes. I can like call a buddy from China and have him fly him over to shoot a tiger. Okay, no tiger can do that. Counterpoint, but our, our reason, in that tank, mm-hmm. you could kill tigers. You also kill a lot of other humans. Sure. Yeah. Right? Yep. I guess that means your survival, but we are also sort of nuking the planet with oil, and that means the death of all humans. That kind of sucks. So our reason isn't really helping us there. And it can also make people so depressed that they want to commit suicide. Doesn't help Not us great. there. Yeah. No, I, mean, I guess I was It thinking. can make you unhappy because you see a lot of things you don't want. It can cause, you don't have. It can cause I, envy. It can cause hatred. But it has, but the point is, is that like, in the game... In the game, we've won, or we are, like, miles ahead of any other animal, and we are the ones with reason. How many of us are truly happy? Lots of us. That's actually fair. Yeah, lots of us are, but not all of us. So you two are disagreeing on... Uh, and I, I, th- I thought the point he was making was more akin to, like, when we uh, use the uh, analogy of, like, in, in terms of the chariot, what should be, for a human person, who should be kind of leading the chariot and it's, it's reason, right? Like yeah, the best of it's not my instinct. Be- but if you think about like, if, if, if reason is required for us to fulfill all of our like human needs, that requires training in some way. Right. And so like, if our base instincts are bad or totally off, then how have we made it so far to get to the point where we can build tanks? Cause we haven't had tanks for much longer than we have had tanks. True. We haven't had big cities for much longer than we have had big cities. Mm-hmm. So there must be something 
in the emotional or repetitive side that like helps us survive, right? Isn't that what he's saying? There's something good there that's kind of pushing us along that then maybe allows for reason to kind of take it off. Uh, I guess, but like, I mean, and he's saying that that, that prior thing is the, is the, the prior thing is more important or the prior thing is the, I don't know. Has he said yet what that prior thing is? What, what prior, the, the actual goal of reason? Yeah. Or as opposed to reason. Like if he's saying that we should not ascribe reason to the faculty of our, of our um, preservation and happiness. What, what should we ascribe it to? So he says, re- yeah, instinct? reason because it's not for happiness must therefore be for something Why else. Why is reason not for happiness? This is also a big break from the classical. Because instinct is a better, a better could, could lead us to happiness much more easily. No, how? You don't have to think about it. You just do it, right? Like, yeah, I, I can, I like build a thing. I don't have to reason my way through it. If I just like. How do you build it if you went without your reason? Eagles build nests. Birds build nests all the time. They don't have extra reason. They build things. But the ants build these incredible structures. Termites have colonies. Bees yeah. have colonies. They build honeycombs. And we're saying that they're happy? They're doing what they're designed for. They're doing like, what they're designed for. And instinct gets them there incredibly naturally without them, like, getting depressed and killing themselves. Right. Mm. I, st- I, I think he's, he's, he's giving this as... He's just stating it. And having it be a bummer and then having people not disagree with him because people don't want to disagree with things that are bummers. Wait, say it again. <sighs> no. The bummer of... Um, like, I, I don't know. I, I, how can you just, like, say that human beings who have built, who, who, are, who are, like, the top of the heap, have cities, have wealth, have ease, yes, in diff- varying degrees and in various proportions throughout history, and yes, wars and whatnot, but, like, how can you look at that and say, one... If reason did that, well, then they're not happy. And, and they would have been way happier if they, like, scratched out a living in the woods with their instinct. Come on. Seriously? Okay, how, how, many, how much of humanity is below poverty line? Um, how much of them live on, like, less than $2 a day? The, how much of them are besieged by war yeah, and but look, terror? But those, and numbers are, those numbers are trending up, have been trending up for the last 100 years. The amount of people who are, are in poverty are... Like, and also the people who are living in poverty are also not just living based on instinct. They are also living according to reason. Sure. Well, his point is that if we were all living just according to, to instinct, we could have all these things, have all of our needs met and have no, no problems. Why? How, you, how could because you, you wouldn't be striving for anything? Because like, we, Yeah, we wouldn't be striving for anything. I wouldn't be envious. I wouldn't be like trying to create and not, not able to do it and therefore sad. But this is that like noble savage argument that says like we would be whole, we would be a whole lot happier if we just like got rid of everything that makes us human yep. and live more like an animal. Okay, so everything that makes us human, i.e. reason, i.e. reason must therefore not just be to make us like happy as clams. Because we're clearly not. Uh, if unless, it is supposed to make us happy as clams, it sucks at it. Why? Because we're not happy. But, but people are but, but people are happy. Some people are happy, yeah. but... And they are happy in a higher it, and more noble way than like my dog is happy. You have no idea how happy... I've seen okay, your dog. Your but, dog is incredibly but, okay, happy but all then, the time. Is but true? they are happy in the way that is appropriate to humans. Like you can't just sort of wish away your humanity and say that if we just were different, we would be happy. And since... Like okay, you got to work with what you got. You are, you are correct. But his point is that that if you are looking at reason and what purpose it is for, if its purpose is to make us happy... It's sucking at it. And if it was simply instinct, like it is for your dog, your dog is happy as a clam, pleased as punch, most of the time. Almost by nature, right? Almost by nature, which is what we could be. The reason 
<laughs> the reason he is happy is because he has a fenced-in yard and food whenever he needs it. From me. <laughs> a reasonable person. You sound so happy about it. I love my dog. <laughs> but, but, but I think you're, you two are agreeing with each other because the fence doesn't make you happy. It was a thing you knew you needed to do. Yes. And that was like the reason playing its role in making a good house. But that's not the thing that makes you happy. Rennie could that's be a very miserable dog if he was left to his own devices. Sure. Or could be happy. You, or could be happy. I mean, it's, it's hard to tell. Right. We don't know. I mean, this is this comes down to another, I don't, I don't want to plunge into another like, what do animals think and do animals praise kind of conversation. Do penguins get married? I think that was the one we did for... Do penguins ever go crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I love Werner Herzog? Is that yeah, yeah, Herzog. have you seen I've, that? I've heard about it. I've never actually oh, watched oh it. Oh my goodness. I showed it to my class the other day. So listener, if you have never gone on YouTube and watched Werner Herzog talk about penguins going insane, just search for Werner Herzog... Insane penguin. He was doing an argument about like the Arctic or something. Yeah, or well, the Antarctic, or the he's, subarctic. Yeah, he's doing some Antarctic. sort of documentary about like encounters at the end of the world. Yeah. Two thousand seven documentary. There you go. And he he goes up to this researcher and he's like, do, researcher, do, do penguins ever just go crazy and want to like insanity and penguin? I'm not saying they think they're Napoleon Bonaparte or Stalin, but do they ever just go crazy because they're tired of their community? And the guy's like. Well, uh, <laughs> never I seen mean, a penguin bash its head against the rock. And then there's this like super epic music as he talks about penguins going nuts and heading towards the mountains. It's wonderful. It's very good. It's crazy. Um, I am, I don't know. I just, so Kant is saying that our reason is not, our reason is bad at making us happy. And therefore but, it must be for something else. Why? Why is our reason bad at making us happy? Because it's for something else. And maybe and because, have we not gotten to what the other yeah, thing because, is? Yeah, because, well, okay. and, and he just says, like, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Right? Instinct could have done it better. It, it would be, be way easier for you to wake up every morning, not think about all these grand ideas you have, feed your dog, mend your fence, make your food, smooch your wife, happy. and smile. Yeah. Right? If you didn't have all this reason stuff bagging you down. The reason you're unhappy is because of the reason. I don't know. I, I, how can you say that? Like, how can you, how can I, you wake up, kiss your wife, make your lunch and have that be a thought experiment where you don't have reason being something that's operating. Cause birds do it. Birds don't have wives. Do oh, they, contrary. They, they, I thought some of them were monogamous. <laughs> Many of them yeah. mate for no, life. No, but I mean, my point being like, our penguins are one of penguins those, right? are one yeah. of those. The argument he's this, this argument only works if you say that humans are animals but just a little bit different. The social animal, yeah. That's like a also a common trait. I, I'm willing to say yeah. that humans aren't animals. I'm just willing. I'm just also pointing out that reason does a whole lot of stuff to us other than make us completely happy. Right. If it's supposed to be, if it's if it is the thing that is best adapted to making us happy, it does a crappy job at it. I think you two are agreeing. Uh, no, I'm not because I don't agree with that statement. You don't think that rationality is only for happiness? Do I think rationality is only for happiness? Yeah. I think happiness is a rational function. Uh. You don't think you can't have any happiness that comes from you're hungry, you eat a meal, you like it. Like that's just, that's instinct that and it, you're operating on. It's a petitive nature. But and that you is, are satisfied but that by is, that meal. But that that satisfied meal that that meal is a is um, a means to a further end, which is to continue my life of reason. Like, yeah, like I, also, I, I'm playing the Aristotle card. Like sure. I'm saying that that, like that the ultimate happiness is the life of is the is the life of the mind is the sure. is the and so the, the 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 meal is an end in itself it's an enjoyable thing but it's also a means to an end which sure. is to prolong my life to continue the thing that is an end a total end in and of itself is the happiness that comes through virtue by your rational function sure um and so um 
so okay, so Aristotle's well, counterpoint to Kant is 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 that human beings are happy through being virtuous, and virtuous is a rational function. And Kant is saying that human beings are happy when they like what satisfy their bodily needs because of instinct. No, no, no. he's he's saying that that reason must therefore be aimed at something else, something besides. What he calls happiness, which okay. let That's me fine. remind you, happiness means uh, happiness means the satisfaction of all inclinations as a sum. You can maybe better be called contentment. Yeah, um, even the even the satisfaction of all inc- like of all inclinations, but the stuff you want, all of that is satisfied. Therefore, you are happy. That's what he's calling happiness. Yeah. Okay. So maybe he's not defining it the same yeah. way you okay. are. Also, yeah. Let's, that let's, that might be let's see what reason is pointing to. Okay. So Thanks. that is he even talks about how because. Ha- Reason is not aimed at getting us happiness. In fact, hear this sentence. And in fact, we do find that the more one devotes one's cultivated reason to the enjoyment of life and happiness, the further away does one get from true contentment. This is why a certain degree of misology, i.e. a hatred of reason, arises in many people, including those who have been most tempted by this use of reason, if only they are candid enough to admit it. Has he given at any point prior to this his like Kantian definition of reason? No. Okay. I don't think so. What is it? So what do you think he means by it? You're, like dialectic? Yeah, you're, reason, you're just your rational faculties. Just, just, so, but I mean, like, the, that can be a category that, that includes or excludes potentially important things. But so, but, like, um, well, um, it could, he could mean just your logical dialectic capacities, like, saying mm. by by just being able to say like causality you know this the, if this then this therefore that okay. that's that's a reasonable that's a reason thing but we can also be talking about reason in regards to um the the thing we're appealing to when we say Thomas Magby is a pretty reasonable guy in other words he is somebody that like has prudence you and mean wisdom practical reason yes somebody so he, who has prudence he... and wisdom in around the world and um and he can he, he sort of generally understands human beings to the point that he can befriend them or avoid the ones that need avoiding and he's a reasonable guy he like does the right things at the right time prudence i don't think that's what he means i i think it is only to a degree so he later differentiates between philosophy and its uses and a person of practical reason right he'll actually later say that a practical reason in a person is actually like it does a pretty good job i I worry that that sharp distinction is a bad move on his part uh, I don't know that he's fully saying that, that, ni- that they are distinct, that reason is different than from practical reason, but yeah. I think they both sort of fall under the grand category okay. of reason. Right. Okay. I'm sorry, AJ, am I, am I stonewalling you too much? No, this okay. is, I mean, I'm, there's only like eight pages to this okay. thing, and this is this is great. So, <laughs> Aren't we two pages then? <laughs> uh, we do oh, shoot, one, two, three, We just crossed into three. This is the fourth the page. We're on the fourth page. Timer. I never set the timer either. It's okay. I, got, I can look at the, the, the measures and find out where we are. Okay, so he says, um, i got to find the beginning of this sentence. Holy smokes, it's at the top of the paragraph. I don't want to read the whole thing. Uh, Give me one second. Here you go, I'll just read the whole thing. For since reason is not sufficiently competent to guide the will safely with regard to its objects and the satisfaction of all our needs, which it in part even multiplies, right? Your reason sometimes makes you want more stuff. A goal to which an implanted natural instinct would have led us much more certainly and since reason is nevertheless given to us as a practical faculty, we have reason, and since uh, that is as one which is supposed to influence the will, since finally reason was absolutely necessary for this purpose, as nature has everywhere distributed her abilities so as to fit the functions they are to perform. So it has, has a purpose. It's not necessarily our happiness because it multiplies our needs rather than reducing our needs. Um, and since we have it, 
Reason's true vocation must therefore be to, to produce a will which is good in itself, not just good as a means to some further end. Such a will must not be the sole uh, and complete good, but it must be the highest good and the condition of all the rest, even of all our longing for happiness. Oh, I don't like this. <sighs> in not? that case, it is entirely compatible with the wisdom of nature with the cultivation of reason which is required for the former unconditional purpose, may in many ways, at least in this life, restrict the attainment of the second conditional happiness, conditional purpose, happiness. So the primary one is a, a good will, and then happiness is sort of a subordinate thing, and it can restrict the attainment of happiness in order to produce a good will. And indeed, that it can even reduce it to less than nothing, i.e. making you miserable. Nor does nature here violate its own purpose, for reason, which recognizes as its highest practical vocation the establishment of a good will, is capable only of its own peculiar kind of satisfaction, satisfaction from fulfilling a purpose which reason alone determines, even if this fulfillment damages the ends of inclination. So, your, the, the purpose of reason is to establish good will, and to establish a good will might mean that for a time you are not happy, Right? So if I want to become an acolyte and learn something, I might have to suffer. I might have to go through. You're going through a class right now. That's a hard thing, right? Yeah, sure. Um, It's pretty interesting. I enjoy it. But yeah, like homework is not fun. No, no, you have to hate it for this argument to work. I hate it so much. (laughs) You don't have to hate it. He says it can reduce you to less than nothing if you want to, like, but it's worth it for for this because reason is not here to make you happy, Donaldson. Reason Mm -hmm. is here to make you good. Yep. Then it may reduce your happiness to less. Same thing. He means, so happiness is just... Please this punch all of my desires satisfied. So is is for you a goodwill and happiness the same thing? Um, I don't know. Let me think through that. No, you can intend things and not have them satisfied. All right. Did you did you guys track all that? That whole no, thing I read. Of course not. No, no, we are didn't. you, are you out of not. your mind? No. <laughs> <laughs> can I? I'll just read you this because it's it's relevant from the Wikipedia page for this book. Uh, th- this book is famously obscure. Citation needed. And <laughs> <laughs> so someone who's having to read this for college right now just yeah. threw that one in there. So no, no, I didn't follow that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, well, the reason is bad for making you happy. Therefore, it must be for something else. And yeah, this thing part, is yeah. a goodwill, right? No, and a goodwill might mean that you're not happy for a time in order to make you good. Yeah, okay. The movement that makes me uncomfortable is the shift from, hey, human, there is the standard out there in the world that you need to conform to or not conform to, and if you conform to it, you'll be happy, and you conform to it by using reason. That's sort of the classical Aristotelian thing. And then the shift that Kant is doing that gets continued on in the history of philosophy is... We no longer concern ourselves with some sort of external standard. The things that we call good is a human function that one does, i.e. goodwill. And regardless of whether or not you hit the mark in, with your goodwill, the very, act of willing, the very act of willing is itself the high form that human does. So you're essentially sort of, you're turning everything that is important you're turning anything that has to do with saying that you were a good person or a good life, and you're saying it's not how you conform yourself to reality. It's how, well, how sharp your tools are. Does that make sense? So it's like uh, you're taking care of your – like the only thing that's important is you having faculties. It's not – whereas in the classical world, it's 
can you conform yourself to fit into the reality that is out there? Can you like play ball with the form of the good if we want to be platonic about it? And that sort of shift from not, but from saying like, you don't need to think of yourself in regards to where you are. You don't need to think of yourself in regards to reality. All you need to do is like focus on the faculty that you as a human being have and that is the only thing that we can call good, I think, is like a big diminishing move in philosophy. Not the only thing we can call good. The only thing we can call good without qualification. Meaning I don't have to say it's good at a certain time or in a certain way or in a certain person. Right? A good will is always good, no matter where you find it. If it's in a dog, it's good. If it's in a human, it's good. If it's in a president, it's good. Which is why I think saying that happiness is a good that needs to be qualified um, doesn't make any sense. So if you if you are happy, you are content because all of your inclinations, your desires are met. Not so unhappy. That's not happiness, though. Okay, so that that's the thing is that's yeah, how yeah. he defines happiness. Yeah, so ha- right. happiness is Con- be, is content. being virtuous. Is being is doing the thing that you were made to do, which is to be good. Which is so, to be- well, that sounds like what he's saying. A good will. Um, no, it's not just a good will. It's good. It's, it's a good will that's actually do- doing it correctly. What if you are prevented from doing your good will? Are you therefore automatically an unhappy person? It's For example, be, uh, take up Boethius. He's in jail. Yeah. He, he wills good for every human in the world. Is he therefore not fulfilling his role as a human being because he cannot actually affect his goodwill in the world? I mean, he's got a good will. He, he wants good for everybody. He's you happy. You cannot look at Boethius and his life and say, like, I want that. Fine by me. Yeah. Yeah. He is, like, um, I mean, this is also Aristotle's argument. Like, there are ex- externalities that are needed uh, for good that you that can only come from fortune. No, it's very funny. Aristotle and so says there, you, that, there, like, there it is. Externalities mm-hmm. that only come from fortune. And so this is the qualification that comes with happiness. It is good with qualifications, unlike a goodwill, which is good without qualifications. I guess so. It's like, but why is it, why is it so, okay, what's the big deal about finding something that doesn't need to be qualified? That's what he builds the rest of the argument on. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a, he's, he's pointing out that reason is aiming for this, not for happiness. Happiness. The reason Which can, is good with qualification. Reason, reason can accomplish happiness, but it's not the primary thing that's doing that. Yeah, reason must okay. be for something else. Let's, say that, let's yeah. say that somebody had insanely good fortune and had all of his needs met or whatever his Yeah, his inclinations were satisfied. His inclinations were satisfied his entire life. But dude had a bad will. He did not have a good will. He had a bad will, whatever yeah. that looks like. Um, would we then say that he was, what? what would we say about him? He was miserable. He had a bad life. Here, I think he this, was not it, a good person. I think it would help if I actually read this note about what happy, how happiness is translated. Okay. So, happiness, the usual translation, does not entirely capture Kant's meaning as various passages show. Glückseligkeit. I'm, I'm just butchering that. I'm so sorry if you're German. There's got to be some German listener out there that's like, I can clear this up for them. <laughs> doing an email. Is described as the satisfaction of all inclinations as a sum. And it is said to require an absolute whole, a maximum of well-being in my present and in every future state. Clearly not something implied by modern usage of happiness. The, the, the summation of all inclinations definitely feels like a German concept. Yeah. <laughs> it's archaic and actually meant yeah. something like blessedness or felicity. Oh. A German equivalent of the Latin beatitudo. Happiness in German, at least nowadays, is Glück. Oh, okay. Glücklichkeit, Freude, 
Zufriedenheit. Yeah, you're making um, this up. I'm so, not. Come read them. Uh, no, this is interesting because Aristotle does talk about blessedness, and that is the thing that Aristotle uses. He he talks about blessedness as being like super happiness. Okay, like, like happiness, and you're hot, and you're rich, right? And you're so. However, felicity is a r- rare word. Blessedness carries religious overtones, often inappropriate to Kant's discussion, and sure. happiness fits naturally Kant's attack on the principles of one's own happiness, where appropriate, perfect happiness is used in this translation. I think for something like felicity or blessedness. So Kant that would clear say things that, up? The, that the person Graham said would be happy. They were blessed. They received material means. They had all their wants satisfied. That person is happy in Kant's conception, even though they they turn might turn it evil. Is that yeah. the, or or it no. maybe makes them? He says it's bad because it might make the man lazy. So would he be happy? Do you think Kant would say this guy is happy? Yes, even he, if he, he is lazy. Be. And yeah, I don't think exactly. Graham would say he is happy. Graham would not well, say even if let's lazy. say that like he had all of his, his his things met, and he was just a sad sack his whole life. Okay. And then if someone convinces him, uh, like man, you're so you're moping around in his mansion. Um, and so why don't you try doing a business? And he's like, oh, I don't really want to try. And he tries it wildly successful. Like everything he puts his hand to is wildly successful. And he is like a mopey dope his entire life. Kant would say what? He's happy? Or I he, think he wouldn't call him happy just because reason has made him not so. Like his, It's not just, reason that made him not so. He should, he, reasonably, he should be happy. Okay. I, in any case, I think he would say that there needs to be some sort of thing there. But that's not the same as I think the happiness you are talking about, which is... The reason a he's perfection sad, of virtue, but the reason, yeah, the reason he's right? mopey and, and dopey is because he has because of a lack of virtue. Kant, like is, and Kant would say he has some need that hasn't been met, because that's how he's. He, he, it doesn't matter, but he's just saying mm-hmm. that Kant is saying that the meeting of needs will make one happy. Gotcha. You're saying that that's not. I'm true. saying that if if all of his needs are met and he's not virtuous, yeah. he's he's going to not correct. Be happy. So that's you yeah. disagree. And, with the very so beginning. here, virtuous, I think you could make that closer to synonymous with a good will, yeah. right? If you have a good will, if you are virtuous, you have a good will. You want to do good to others. Yeah. You want to do good in the world. Yeah. That's what he says reason is for. So yes. I don't think oh, he's which, that far off. He's Aristotelian. <laughs> okay, cool. Great. Is that, is that just what you wanted this whole time? No, it's not. Yeah. But it's like, not, I just have your Aristotle no, stamp and be like, no, that, yes. that was our point. We got okay. the, thing, the thing that, that always makes me nervous is the cutting off of human beings from the rest of their context and saying that. The secret of human life, of happiness, of blessedness, of anything is a function that humans have and it has nothing. And then like you could put them in a completely alternate reality where up is down and left is right. But if they retain that function, they're still going to be happy. And I think and I don't I think that's wrong. OK, I think you're I think you would actually agree with him as we move forward. Okay. Because the thing like you're uncomfortable with is saying that it's just a human produced thing. This yeah, yeah. goodwill is not what he's talking about. He because he says you are because here I, in this I see the beginnings of the Nietzschean will to power, and sure. that's like what human beings are for. No, yeah. no, no. He because he well, says willing, yeah. he is about to say, and we'll get there that that it is good insofar as it adheres to law, a principle that requires it to do good, and that principle seems to be outside of the human. Eventually, he's going to say, I think this is the categorical imperative or at least that is one way to identify the law. But he doesn't say that you get to define what a goodwill is and then it's up to you whether it's good or not. That's not what he's saying. All right, keep going. Okay. So there's a quick section where he talks about how duty includes the concept of a goodwill. So within duty is goodwill, even though it might have obstacles to goodwill, right? You might want something that, you know, that stands in the way of duty that you have to overcome. So that's just really fast. I don't think we need to read that part. So... Chapter, paragraph 10, chapter 10, section 10, whatever it is. A goodwill is manifested when we act out of duty rather than inclination. Only such acts have moral worth. Let's see. I don't know which part I should read to you. Mm, 
Well, let's do the, the, the first little bit. So I will here omit all actions already recognized as opposed to duty. So something non-dutiful. Oh, he, he kind of, oh, so this is part where he talks about like, if you do something out of duty, but it's self-interest. So like, say I have a whole bunch of customers come in and I charge one, like I don't overcharge any of them. Well, even though that seems like it's duty, really it's self-interest. I want everyone to be able to buy from me and then to come back and buy from me more. It's not necessarily against my inclination. If I have a direct inclination to do it, like you feeding your dog, you love your dog. You want to feed your dog. It makes you happy, right? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call that like the kind of thing he's talking about where it is an act of moral worth. He says an act only has moral worth when you do it against Uh, your inclinations, but for the sake of duty. Now, don't confuse this. I actually had to look this up. Don't confuse this with moral value. So there are acts of moral value, right? Feeding your dog, for example. Yes, that is a moral. If I didn't do it, it'd be immoral. It's yes, a moral it would thing be to immoral do. to do. And, and these, these are the kind of acts oh. that we want to encourage so, in others. So but moral, moral, wor- okay, I see. moral worth is something that I do against my own inclinations. I really don't want to, like, say I see a homeless man on the street. He doesn't have shoes. I have shoes. I really don't want to give him my shoes, right? Mm-hmm. right? I really like my shoes. There's no self-interest here. I'm not going to give him my shoes and then get back 30 bucks. Like, it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to see it. It's on the street in the middle of the night. An act of moral worth is one where I do it against my own inclinations and aside from any indirect inclination, like somebody forcing me to do it. No one's holding me with a gun, right? That is an act of moral worth. Giving him my shoes because I want to, because I like the guy, maybe he was my friend. Maybe it's Maggie, down on his luck, Uh right? That really wouldn't count. It would be of moral value, right? It'd be good for the world, but not moral worth. Different. Okay. If I'm a good guy who just gives things away to people and like that's my nature, would that also not have moral worth? It would not because it's I, just your your nature. Okay. So, can a truly like saintly person not have moral worth? No. Their actions would be of moral value, not yeah, yeah. of moral worth because they are not doing anything against their own inclinations. They have reached a, a place where their own inclination is just Every action is of moral value. So like, but there's you know, nothing where it's against what yeah. they want to do. The like Russian holy fool who like gives the bread that someone gave him out of pity and he divides it and gives it to the birds and, and, uh, and all those sorts of things. No moral worth, but moral value. Yes. Yes. That feels off. Which is to, yeah, we don't have to go into it, but, but yeah. that would seem like something we would probably disagree with. But it's the kind of thing we praise, right? We praise people who do a thing that they probably clearly did not want to do. It was dangerous to them. It wasn't like, it didn't give them anything. Nobody was forcing them to do it. They didn't get any benefit from it. That's the kind of thing that society praises and the kind of thing that earns you medals. I guess, but if you see a kid like help an old lady and and you ask him why he did it and he said, I really like helping people, you wouldn't be like, well... That kid's a loser. Or you wouldn't be like, well, that kid, I mean, that, uh, then I'm not going to think anything good about what you just did. It's still a good thing. Uh, maybe, I guess, the, the difference between value and worth, I'm not really seeing what, why that's an important distinction. So, so for example, like, I think this even shows up in scripture. Okay. There, someone who is wealthy, loves to give money, gives away money all the time, gives $300 to the church. Well, Jesus didn't praise that as much as the lady who gave her last two pennies. Because it would be against her inclination to do so. I think you're adding the. But I think you're adding motivation. I, you're adding motivation I have a motivation to the, to the other guy, yeah. but to well, to her, like a person in her stature or in her position, would be there's no self interest, nothing in her inclination that would make her want to give away that money. I'm but, saying, but whether, the notion of duty. I'm saying whether she did it because she wants to give or whether she didn't want to give but gave anyway, it's a good thing she did. 
either way. Yes, so it is a moral value yeah. that she gave, but it is more moral worth for her to give because it would be against the inclination, inclination of someone in that position versus Maybe. someone who has a lot of money and loves to give it away. Sure. Right? Yeah. It's just tough to say that someone who's like practiced in giving or being good, like we discount that. Like it yeah, seems yeah. like that should be kind of the goal of all of us. But to say that your moral value decreases as you become, become better, better person, at it. Yeah. Just to, yeah. your your moral value, I would say, might increase, yeah. but your acts of moral worth would decrease. The yeah. ones where they are against your inclination. Yeah. And this is where I was originally really uncomfortable sure. with this, is because I read that and I was like, Ugh. but right. I did look at the notes, and it really he does make a distinction between moral value and moral worth okay. as the book progresses. And so, moral worth is something done against your inclination, but yeah. in accordance with the law. Um, interestingly, he also says to secure one's own happiness is a duty, at least indirectly. For discontent with one's condition, when pressed by many cares and amidst unsatisfied needs, again with the needs, might easily become a great temptation to transgress one's duties. So, happiness in this sense... Is a duty. Is a duty, because not being fed, not being taken care of, right? If I don't have shoes, I can't give shoes to the other guy. That prevents me from doing my duty, which is to feed and clothe the homeless. Yeah. So I'm on board for this following with his definition of happiness, right? Yes. We have obligations to take care of ourselves, basically. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Graham hates it, though. Okay. Just processing. Okay. It is doubtless in this sense that we should understand, too, the passages from Scripture in which we are commanded to love our neighbor and even our enemy. For love as inclination cannot be commanded, but kindness done out of duty, although no, no, although no inclination impels us, and even although natural and incon- unconquerable aversions stand in our way, is practical love, not pathological love. It resides in the will and not in the partiality of feeling, in principles of action and not in melting compassion. And it is this practical love alone that that can be commanded. So when he tells us to love our enemy, we have no natural inclination to do that. I hate that guy. Right. But he commands our will to do it. It is our duty. That is an act of moral worth. Same point, because you would hope that someone would work to the point of seeing their enemy, loving their enemy by nature and not forcing themselves to do it over time. But I take his point of like, that's to reward those first steps of like, you're trying to practice giving or practice loving your enemy. Sure. Yeah, so like Christ has no moral worth. It's Yeah, right. Because he's not struggling over that choice. No, he does because it says he was tempted in all ways that we were. He had human inclinations in some places. Mm. And he did things yet out of duty. In fact, the crucifixion. Yeah, he prayed I mean, to get out of yeah, it. Exactly. He's like, yeah, I don't, take this like, cup from please me. take this cup from me. And yeah. yet did it anyway. Yeah. So that would be one of the acts of the greatest moral worth. And all his acts had moral value. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, what do you think of Graham? Um, you on board? Again, it's like, okay, a distinction to what to what end? Um, like, what's what's your point? Is he, is he going somewhere with that distinction? Oh, yeah. We've, <laughs> yeah. Well, again, we're three we pages are in. only on point I mean, one we're getting of to the three. categorical imperative, which is... Well, well that's the end of this. Yeah. We're not, there's no way we're going to I, I do don't think we're going to get there. We're 50 I, minutes I, in. It is, it is like 12 pages, and there's no way we are going to get yeah. through it at this How many pages are we in It's right the now? categorical imperative. Is that universalize your actions? Is that the... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers, Graham. Spoilers. Yeah. We, are, we are five pages in. Uh, unreal. Six. Five and a half. Okay. Oh, man. That is great. You guys are hilarious. Okay. So... Next section, what makes acts out of duty morally worthy is not their actual or intended results, but the underlying principle on which they are based. So he says, the second proposition is this, the moral worth of an action done out of duty has its moral worth not in the objective to be reached by that action, 
but in the maxim in accordance with which the action is decided upon. It depends, therefore, not on actualizing the object of the action, but solely on the principle of volition in accordance with the action was done, without any regard for the objects of the faculty of desire. For example, if I want to give that homeless man my shoes, and I go, hey, bro, I got a pair of Jordans here for you, and he's like, screw you, pal, or he takes them and then, like, puts them on his hands and then walks down the street with my shoes on his hands, well, I haven't really succeeded in putting the shoes on his feet. However, the moral worth of the action is still there because I sacrificially did my duty against my inclination in accordance with the maxim of the law, right? The principle in volition. Does that make sense? So... What would Kant think about me like liking a tweet? Like some like some, like some like moral someone makes a statement about like, you know, I, you know, we got to fix poverty in America and I like that tweet. Like my will is in such a good place. Like does that if I if I accomplished his good you will. You got moral value. You got I would mean, yeah, I'd say that's not moral moral like value, but moral worth. worth. Okay, one, okay, yeah, yeah. Unless you're like you kind of hate the person but Wait, you're like, you ah, can I, do, I I admit. You yeah. can do an act of moral worth that has no moral value? You can act of do my I sorry. You can do the reverse, an act of moral oh. value that has no moral worth. Oh. And that's but what you, I would be doing by liking yes, tweets. Because okay. it is in your inclination to like tweets. Yeah. Right? But yeah. it's it is not against your inclination. Yeah, it's not against your inclination to do so. Therefore, you're not doing it out of duty simply for the maxim of like I have asked you to love your enemy. Yeah. Right? What if what if maybe he's like, oh, I should probably be the kind of person that agrees with this statement and clicks on it, but he doesn't he doesn't really want to. Aha. We have moral worth, ladies and gentlemen. Is that where we're going? Wait. No, no, that's that's it. That, that, like, that, that, that would be it. Okay. If you don't want to do it, and no, it but then, uh, but then, it, but that, but him I'm liking a tweet has no moral value. How dare you? No, it does have I, moral value. Now, now it has moral worth too because he doesn't want to. No, do it. how is it a moral value of him like liking of liking a vapid internet statement? <laughs> okay, so I, I, I'm, I was trying to understand if you guys meant like this thing is a good thing that he's doing. Is it a good thing that he's liking this or does it not matter at all? Well, it's like a good moral message that I'm, I am supporting with my internet. Okay, there. So liking. it is like slightly morally valuable, <laughs> right? It gives a little more heft to somebody else's moral statement. Sure. And if you don't want to click that like button. And I do it anyway. And you do it anyway, then we have moral. Uh, then I'm a good person. Ooh, 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 so well, I get okay, to be a good person. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> what is what that? I feel actually, like we've lost the plot. No, no, we haven't lost the plot. Um, what if unbeknownst to Megby that him liking the tweet Actually, set no, off no, a nuclear no, 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 no. That um, that he's he's contributing to uh, like the vapid internet uh, sentiments. Sure, that's yeah. actually the doing a lot of bad. damage yeah. to actual people going out and but doing. But my intention things. is good. But, but the your intention is, bad. is good. But you, but so you didn't want to like the tweet, but you said I should probably be, be a kind of guy that likes to tweet. So you do it. That's moral worth. Yeah, you're liking the tweet. Unbeknownst to you, you liking all these tweets is actually like undermining real activist action. Someone is somehow using it for like human trafficking. That no, no, not maybe that. But I was thinking more just like (laughs) you are contributing to uh, to to a culture of being of sort of like of of flattening all moral things into this like vapid feel goodism. And that was that's not moral value. Well, you did a moral worth and something without moral value. Okay, so maybe it doesn't have moral value, but it still has moral worth. For like the the one I just read, right, that it it is in the principle of volition, Mm -hmm. not in the actual ends achieved. He wants to do a good thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So he still has a goodwill, which is the thing that reason is aimed for, right? It's trying to establish in us a goodwill, that which is good without condition. And he has done it, and therefore, regardless of the ends, yeah. he, has, done a good thing. he has done a good thing. Okay, we'll back this bus Or at up. least a thing of moral worth. Moral can, worth. You do things, can you do things of moral worth that have no moral value? You said yes, didn't you? You I, just I, said I, yes. I mean, like, I, I, he doesn't say this, but I have, I, okay. I sort of gather from what I've read that yes, you can What's do things of moral What's more important, worth. doing things of moral worth or doing things of moral value? I think he would argue doing things of moral worth. 
Huh. That okay. I think this is where I disagree with him. I would say doing things of moral value have more worth. Well, or I, I think <laughs> I think better. He, I think yeah. he would say that things of moral worth are often things of moral value, and it's the and one of the only ways to attain more things of moral value. Right. More often than not, your inclinations are going to go towards evil rather than good. Right. How many how many purely saintly people are out there? But there are a lot of people that are willing to do actions of moral worth that therefore turn into actions of moral value right? Like giving my shoes to this homeless person. If I'm only going to do things of moral value and never things of moral worth, I'll only do like the few things that I kind of like doing for this society. And I'm going to neglect all the rest of the law. It is doing these acts of moral worth that buoy up all the acts of moral value there are. Is it possible to do one of moral worth that goes totally astray? Sure. Absolutely. Right. Him clicking the tweet might be feeding some bot in Russia that's making a lot of money and and turning into munitions, right? He might be doing that unbeknownst to him. However, it's, it is still that instinct which makes for most of the actions of moral value in our world. Right? Can, for example, if, like, say that the only people who built airplanes were the ones who just really loved it. Yeah. They, like, not, no profit involved, nothing else. They just really loved it. It'd be, that'd be great. But, but we wouldn't have very many airplanes. We wouldn't have very many airplanes. So we need right? people to overcome something in themselves to motivate themselves to go and make airplanes. We have to pay people. Yeah, sure. Right? We have right. to pay people to make airplanes. Yeah. And that is an action act of like airplane worth yeah. is doing it against your own inclination. Can you build an airplane that sucks? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's good that you're trying to build more airplanes. Mm-hmm. Graham is pondering. <laughs> Graham is pondering, <laughs> buffering, buffering. Keep going. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I just you have, I, you, you have the blessing to continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just don't know why like we're, why he wants to die on the th- things of moral worth are better than things of moral value. I, I don't we know have, that he did. I, yeah. I said that. I didn't. He didn't say that. Okay. He says um, he says that that is what that is what moral worth because is. Because I think Maggie's point's a really good one. You want people Graham, to what? I, wow. I, uh, if the if the more moral virtue you acquire, it takes less of you to do it. Like you're if you're not like yes. overcoming some greater thing. Mm-hmm. Then um, uh, then by by definition, what you're doing is less and less and less like commendable. And, yeah, and that seems where so that at the end of someone's life. If somebody had lived a full life of like pure philanthropy and lived this life of sacrificial giving, or was the, the Russian holy fool who we're talking about, and when he died, you can be like, well, I mean, we can't praise him too much because he really he was good at it and he really liked it. And then you have like an absolute moral scumbag, like the guy in um, uh, the Tale of Two Cities, right, where he like looks like the other guy, and at the end of his life, he switches positions. So that he dies and the other guy who looks like him can go marry the girl. And everyone's like, oh, what this like, what a great romantic act. But he was like a massive scumbag the rest of the book. Right. And we're supposed to say that he's somehow better than the saint that's living in the woods or that the, the philanthropist for whom giving was easy out of habituation. That, does, that doesn't seem right. Uh, fair. Uh, I think that's fair. But, however, I will point out that more people read the Christmas Carol than read, you know, the mm-hmm. life of Mother Teresa. Um, and so maybe there's something wrong with that. Maybe there is, yeah. but that, but that's I, that's I like the, our situation, right? right? Yep. We we see people that finally do something that is directly against their inclination in support of the law, yeah, right, and and that's what we want to motivate because we need more of that than we need people who are habituated because they're doing it anyway. Exactly, yeah. 
So in terms of like narratives, you want the narratives of people having sure. major conversion like moments. Yeah. All right. We actually might get to the categorical imperative. Okay. So duty and respect for the law. So these next ones are, th- this next one is probably the most complicated little section. Okay. The third proposition, which follows directly from the two preceding, I would express in this way. Duty is the necessity of an act done out of respect for the law. Well, I can certainly have an inclination for an object that results from my proposed action. I can never respect it, precisely because it is nothing but an effect of a will and not its activity. Similar, I'll explain all this when we get there. Similarly, I cannot respect any inclination whatsoever, whether it be my own inclination or that of another. At most, I can approve of that towards which I feel an inclination. And occasionally, I can like the object of somebody else's inclination myself. That is, see it as conducive to my own advantage. But the only thing, this is the important part, that could uh, one of the important parts that could be an object of respect and thus a commandment to me is something that is conjoined with my will purely as a ground and never as a consequence. Something that does not serve my inf- inclination, but overpowers it or at least excludes it entirely from my decision making. Consequently, nothing but the law itself. Now, if an action done out of duty is supposed to exclude totally the influence of inclination, and along with inclination, every object of volition, then nothing remains that could determine the will except objectively the law and subjectively pure respect for this practical law. What is left, therefore, is the maxim to obey this sort of law, even when doing so is prejudicial to all my inclinations. So basically, I think you're you're wondering what his goal in, in arguing all of this was. It is to divide from goodwill all of the goals and ends of goodwill and say that the only thing that we respect in someone's goodwill, it's not the ends, which we can like or not like, depending. Um, it's not, right, the object that I respect. It is, it is the will in accordance with the law. That is the thing that we respect in someone's, in someone's decision-making process. And in, in my own decision-making process, what I respect... The, that they love the good. That they love the good, the law, yeah. Right, And that is why an action of moral worth is one that is done against inclination. He is separating inclination from the decision-making process. That thing that we most respect is when we follow the law against our own inclination. I'm on board. I've, I've had this conversation with my three-year-old a few times of like, it's like a particularly good thing when like, you don't want to do this, but you still listen to mom, to mom and dad. And like, I think that's true. Now, if he continues to resist, that would be a problem. But like, but, but, but that, that's a huge problem. That's what? the problem if he continues to resist. Yeah, right. But, like, but that's why he needs the encouragement. Maybe I'm making. I'm just the same wondering point why are we lionizing the moment of moral clarity where someone like does something against their will and belittling a lifetime of fidelity? Ah, because that lifetime of fidelity started somewhere, yeah. right? And, and it so, started with going against your inclination. Yes, exactly. And so we hope that happens at three years old and not at ninety-three years old. Yeah. But so we we lionize it so that we can start it earlier. I think we're all. I think we're in agreement on that. Uh, we are. Um, but so, but it's, it's, um, if we are talking about, but again, it's just why, then why are we, why are we overweighting moral worth and underweighting moral value? I don't think, I don't think he is. He, he I think, I think we are doing, he just separates them. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say moral value is not a good thing. He says the only act of moral worth is the only thing that we respect. The only the thing you respect, respect is the, the law, yeah, not the ends. Yeah, you yeah. respect the law, which is an act of, like, if you're doing it, even even of moral by value, law, those are acts within the law. Presumably by law, he means, like, some sort of objective moral right and wrong, the, the Tao, the... It's the, the next yeah. thing, next yeah. section. Okay. So identification of the principle of a goodwill, the formula of universal law. So he, we have, we so have, we have arrived. Yeah, yeah. We're sliding into home. This is it. Let's do it. So... Um, 
that preeminent good, which we call moral, consists therefore in nothing but the idea of the law in itself, which certainly is present only in a rational being. So dogs don't have no law. There's no dog law that they have in their head when they're doing decisions. So far as that idea and not an expected result is the determining ground of the will. So the law itself is the determining ground of the will, not some result you're going to get, not if you'll, the guy will actually take my shoes and wear them, none, right. none of that stuff. Sure. It is the, the idea of the law in itself. And this preeminent good is already present in the person who acts in accordance with the idea. We need not await the result of the action in order to find it. So I see, I see a guy give, or I, I give the homeless man the shoes. I don't even have to know if he uses them or right. not, right? I know that the act was good. But what kind of law can it be, the idea of which must determine the will, even without considering the expected result, of the, if that will is to be called good absolutely and with, without qualification? Since I have robbed the will of every inducement that might arise for it from, obeying, from its obeying any part, particular law, the only thing remaining that could serve the will as a principle is the universal conformity of actions to law as such. That is... I ought never to act in such a way that I could not also will that my maxim should become a universal law. And there it is. That is his categorical imperative. Can you say it again in maybe more straightforward way? Uh, So let me read it one more time just to make sure I have it straight. Since I have robbed the will of every inducement that might arise for it from obeying its particular law. So all all the results you might get. So... You, you might be moral because you think it'll get you money. He's like separated from all of that, from all of that external stuff. In itself, the only thing remaining that could serve the will as a principle is the universal conformity of actions to law as such. So, so the only thing that will give you a principle for what is good is would it be good if all men did this thing? Yeah. If all men followed this, then we can call that a law and that can, that can serve it. Like regardless of the results, if all men were to do this thing or to act this way, yeah. then that is what we would call moral. Yeah. Here it is the mere conformity to law as such without presupposing any law prescribing particular actions that serves the will as its principle and must so serve it if duty is not to be a totally empty delusion chimerical concept. Common human reason, common human reason, when engaged in making practical judgments, also agrees with this completely and has that principle constantly in view. So it's like, I'm not saying anything revolutionary. Right. Common humans think this, that the, the question isn't, what can I adhere this to? What else? It's, should this be universal, right? If I can say, yes, the thing I am doing, everyone should do. Should everyone give their shoes to a homeless person because they can buy another pair? Sure. Yeah, if, yeah they don't have, if they don't have shoes. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then he gives a big example right here, the, the example of a, long, a lying promise. So say you're in real dire straits. Right, Megby's got you up against the wall, and he's got a knife at your throat, and he says, I want you to promise me, promise me, that uh, you give your dog a bath mm-hmm. every Saturday, yeah. or I'm cutting your throat. Yeah. I'm sick of seeing a dirty dog. Brr. And you, you know you ain't going to do it, yeah. but you promise because you don't want, you don't want your throat cut. Yeah. He, so he asks, can, can you make that a universal principle, that someone in a dangerous situation should make a false promise to get out of it? And he says, well... No, because then there's no such thing as promising. Like yeah. you promise whenever straits are dire. And I, I couldn't say that every man should do this. And therefore, no, you should not promise him you'll give your dog a bath if he ain't going to do it. So you need to ask, is this a moral principle that all men will follow? And this is the categorical imperative that Kant is so famous for. He is establishing a ground for morality. And I think he's trying to do it just with reason. But yes. still, it seems to appe- appeal to 
an external value of good. Yes. Right? Because it, it asks, if all men did this, would it be good? Think of it more as like a guiding principle for evaluating if something is a goodwill or not a goodwill. Like, I don't think Kant here is saying that there is no external thing to measure against. Yeah, yeah. He is simply saying... Later, later people will, but not Kant. Yeah, not Kant. He's saying that this is the way that we evaluate, right? You just ask, should all men do this? And if no, all men shouldn't do this, then, then you shouldn't do it. Then you shouldn't Whoa, do it. What about like dying for your country? There are people like I wouldn't want Asher, three years old, to like fight in war. Okay, so the, I wouldn't the even want a fourteen-year-old girl to go die for her country. Well, the question sh- should citizens die for their country? And you would say no. Therefore, I shouldn't do it. No, no, no. Should should all men of warring age die for their right, country? So how, yes. Should so all children die for their country? Right. Absolutely no. so not. Then the, so then the categorical imperative then has a problem, which is you can just like, you can infinitely contextualize it in that way, and then it's not very helpful. That was exactly what I was thinking on the drive over, is that his problem is one of abstraction, yeah. right? You have to abstract a little bit in order for the law to work, because you could say, should all men who are being held at knife point by Magby under threat of, yes, of right. dog washing. And it has and just specifically Magby. Specifically yeah. Magby. Should, the yeah. should they lie in order to stop their throats being cut? Well, yeah. yeah. In which case, the whole law has broken down. Right? Right. I think that is his main problem. However, I, I don't know that that dismantles his argument. Why not? Because just, just that we have to like, abstract a little bit doesn't mean that it doesn't actually function as sort of a guide. Right? It, it, to to infinitely make it so narrow, uh, what is it? The to to reduce the extent to such a point that you're really only talking about one person. That that kind of negates his whole argument. His whole argument is that you need to take this as a universal principle, abstracted enough that you can say it's a universal principle. You know, I don't have to say all people should die for their country in war. I, I should say all people of warring age that are able bodied should they fight right. for the country. Yes. So Not then, should all people name Mr. Donaldson, who was originally from Canada and yeah, now resides right. in Texas, should he... Like, that is too too narrow. And he doesn't give any guidelines yet for this abstraction principle, but he still has two chapters left. Like, give him a little slack. I guess, but it's it's then like, so then what's he... What is he doing that's different than somebody who would just say, do the right thing? To he's, he's giving you a guide to understand what the right but, thing but is. But the thing is, yeah. he's giving us a guide that we've just admitted has no guideline uh, and is... If we're going to ground it completely on his principle, uh, it sounds like we should just be grounding it on an appeal to, like, a universal right and wrong. I mean, he he essentially is appealing to a universal right and wrong, but right. trying to give more of a guideline for conduct. For example, the the common guideline for conduct now is do what feels good. Mm-hmm. He's saying that's not a functioning guide for conduct. Why not? Because often what you what like you, you could beat someone can, to death and have can, that feel real good. But you can invert universalize that principle. You can't. Should everyone do what feels good to them all the time? No. Why not? Because a lot of people, what feels good to them is evil. Is bad. Yeah. But okay. But it's, then, but then he's a, the the way that he's making that judgment is appealing to the external. Some, yes. Yeah. Some right or wrong. I'm not. Yes. I'm, yeah. He's yeah. absolutely expe- appealing to an external right and wrong. Hundred yeah. percent. I don't think he is trying to get away from an external right. Then how? Why did we have to go through the? I guess I'm wondering why. What was the point of your episode? Yeah, no, what was the? Why, what was, why did you waste no, 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 all of our time? <laughs> why, why does he take that circuitous route of having to differentiate between, um, like will, like a volition? No, oh no. What was it? Value and worth. Um, I just, I, I'm not. I don't know. I don't see what his 
why those moves were important to get to the end. Well, well, so far we've done quite a bit, I would say, right? You walking in here would have said that the ultimate end of reason is happiness. Yeah. And he's giving a better definition no, for I would what say that the, means. I mean, virtue. Okay, so virtue. Yeah. And he's saying this is what virtue looks like. Virtue in the person is regardless of the ends, right? So that, that's, I think that's an important distinction, that if I have a good will, it doesn't necessarily matter how it turns out. It matters that I'm willing good things, especially things that I don't want to do. And more than that, I, I'm willing good things in accordance with the principle that if all men were to do the same thing, this would be a better world, appealing to an external morality. I still think lionizing people who are doing things they don't want to do to the uh, and, and saying that that's somehow like better than someone who's always doing the right thing. Again, I don't think he's I saying it's he better. Yeah. He, he never makes that claim. Which brother's better? No, no, and that's not the right question because the older brother, I'm thinking of the, the, the um, prodigal Terrible. son. The older brother's being like a real stick in the mud about yeah, it. Yeah, he's being a toot. Um, but if the older brother wasn't being a toot, like if the older brother was real, was like happy that his younger brother came home and was like welcomed him. Um, there's something still good in the younger brother overcoming. Yes, you know, overcoming there is his against his um, own inclination. And yeah. if the older brother didn't really want to say welcome home, younger brother, because he was a little bit jealous, but still did so, yeah. we would think that was great. Yeah. And again, I think you're uncomfortable because you're you're you'd think Kant might be saying that moral actions of value are not as good as actions of moral worth. I don't. I really don't think he's saying yeah, that, no, or at fair. least he I, hasn't I, said I, that I can, yet. That's fair. Uh, I, I can I can concede that. Um, I just yeah. It's, uh, what was, that's the famous retort about universalizing of actions about like people eating fish on Sunday. I tried to find it. So, uh, yeah, we, we need to wrap this up. We're like definitely at 70 minutes right now. The other, <laughs> a, another problem with the categorical imperative is you'll get into these trivial observations. So people should wear blue shirts on Tuesdays. Should that be a universal law? It doesn't really hurt anyone. Yeah, sure. Like everyone should wear blue shirts on Tuesday. That, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I don't know that breaks it. it like, break it's not really a question of morality sure. there, like yeah. wearing a shirt. But that's, so. that's just another thing you get to is you get to kind of like goofy conclusions of like, but that's not what Kant is dealing with here. He's trying to create a rational basis for morals. The way he gets there is by saying, do you want everyone doing the thing that you're about to do? Which I think is an instinct. It's probably good. Right? Yeah. And then he says, uh, the, the, I'll wrap this up yeah. in like two sentences. The rest of it is him. He gives an example. And then he says, so the, the problem in a person is that you have this dialectic, a conflict between what you know you should do, the law, the categorical imperative, and what you like to do, right? Your, your inclinations. And so that is the reason for moral philosophy is to help us to figure out, like to, to parse this dialectic when our body's telling us to do one thing and the law is telling us to do another thing. And sometimes we get really confused about which thing is the right thing. And that is the role of moral philosophy. Okay, that's it. I, I promise I'm done. I'm sorry, audience, that this took so long. But dang, I didn't know yeah, that we would yeah, make it to 70 discussion. minutes, but holy smokes. And we're going to keep this going in, in between on Patreon. So if you want to listen to that, patreon.com slash classical stuff. I think you actually opened. So do you Okay, wanna... do, you, do you guys so think we're gonna keep continue this, going this series on or no? From Patreon. Oh. Yeah, you got two more books in this whole thing. Yeah. Have you read them already? No. My only question is if they're as important as the first one. Right. That's the thing. I'll read the next chapter, and if it's if it's as important as and yeah. as compelling, then we'll bring it in. It interesting, but, but audience, this this chapter is important. It's yeah. establishing the categorical four pages. <laughs> Isn't that what you said? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's a uh, one ninety five to. Let's find out how long is chapter one to two oh eight. Two. So, so thirteen. Pages. That's ridiculous. That's wait. Yeah. Yeah. One ninety five to two oh eight. Thirteen pages. No, twelve. Two oh seven. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like eleven and a half. That's funny. 
Well, I don't want to end this podcast, but I feel like we should. Yeah. Ah. So, <laughs> ah. um, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know with Thomas, AJ, and Graham. You can find us on the internet, uh, classicalstuff.net. <laughs> okay. uh, Patreon, as Thomas alluded to, where we have in-between episodes, monthly AMAs, and all sorts of other little goodies. And you can tweet at us into the void because... And we will like it. We'll like it back. Even if we don't want to. And it's moral, we'll have some moral worth. Oh. All right. Uh, <laughs> talk up. to you guys. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye. Bye.